0: Welcome to our latest a conversation with the podcast. I'm Lewis and today I'm joined by two independent reviewing officers
1: or IROs for short. Good morning, my name is Matt. I'm an independent reviewing officer from Dudley. I have been doing the role for nearly four years now. So yeah, some people might say I'm a veteran at this. It's nice to introduce Becky.
2: Hi, everybody. So, I'm Becky, and I'm also an independent reviewing officer, but I'm quite new to this role. So, I've been in post about seven months now. And yeah, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Just obviously, I've been exploring different avenues, and it just felt like a good time to come into this role, just because I've been in Dudley a long time. And, you know, the main focus for me was to be part of the young person's journey, especially doing like child looked after reviews and being able to have some influence on their care planning and you know just to build them relationships really which is really important to me I think as a social worker and it's nice to be able to you know be able to be part of that young person's life and just be that consistent person really I think for them
1: yeah I absolutely agree Becca I think you're right I mean my my role is slightly different to to yours in the main I cover and chair child protection conferences. But it is about making that difference, isn't it? You know, working with families, trying to offer that support when it's needed, trying to identify what the needs of that family are. As I say, I know your role's slightly different, isn't it, when you're there to oversee the you know the care planning side for the young person. But I think, yeah, similar to yourself, I think you know I came into the role because you know, as I say, wanting to make that difference, wanting to have that direct contact again with children and families. I think but you know, in a previous role in a, as a team manager I was kind of removed from that. So I think you know having as i say that direct contact with children and families again it was certainly a big part of me applying for the role in the first place and as i say trying to make that difference and and try and um, progress things for children and progress things for families it is very difficult because you know we, we're we all you know facing a lot of high demands workload and things like that so trying to keep progress on track for a family or for a uh, individual child is very difficult sometimes which is where our role comes into it because we have to oversee that and make sure things are moving forward constantly
2: and i think it's also important to note you know the IRO role is being able to take a bird's eye view of what's going on you know whilst we are under the local authority and we are all trained social workers we are independent to the social worker and you know our role would be very different to them they would be the ones that would be doing the day-to-day stuff with the young person they would be the go-to person for the family for the young person where we might not have as much contact with them but equally you know we have as much influence on their decision-making And making sure that you know we keep the right plan for them, but also stop like drift and delay because that's really important in terms of our independence and making sure that everybody's doing what they do need to do for the best interest of that child. I
1: I agree with that, but I think it 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 is about pulling things together, isn't it? You know, because quite often if if we don't have the oversight of that care plan, as you say, things can things can quite often drift, can't they? But what that does is it brings everybody together. You know, having a child looked after review or even a child protection conference, it. brings that plan together so everybody knows what the strengths are, everybody knows what the worries are for that particular situation and also we're discussing the plan as a collective, as a group, you know, because it isn't just to rely on the social worker to, you know, move things forward. Safeguarding and working with children is everyone's responsibility, isn't it? It doesn't just fall on one particular profession. So what we do in our role is that, you know, we do have that oversight to make sure things are moving in the right direction. We're a stickler for time scales. We like to make sure things are done on time or when they should be. But it just create and what we try and create is that working together mentality. And I really want the children and young people to get involved in that as well because essentially the plan is their plan. You know, and we can come on later as to what is a plan, what is an assessment. But essentially we're working for them, but everyone's got to be, you know, moving and pulling in the same direction. And I think if we don't have these periodic reviews, you know, child looks after reviews which ordinarily take place every six months. Same with child protection conferences. If we don't have that oversight, how are we certain that the plan is moving in the direction that it should be? how are we certain that any differences and any changes are being made because that's quite often why we're involved in the first place we're not expecting perfection perfection doesn't exist but you know we want the best outcomes for children and the best outcomes for families at the end of the day
2: and you touched on there about like young people being part of their planning and participation is something that's really important and I think for me coming into this role one of the things that I'm trying to work on is to get young people involved in their planning and you know they need to understand that they don't need to be in the meeting they don't need to sit and contribute face to face if they don't feel that's the right thing for them although some young people really enjoy that and actually once they've done it they want to do it again and again but you know we can start that relationship and that participation in lots of different ways you know there's advocates that we can use some young people like to do a voice note and send it to me or send it to a teacher or to their carer depend on who they feel comfortable with some young people like to be in the background but not contribute but they can hear what's going on and then they might contribute later in a conversation so there is lots of ways that we can be creative around all our young people you know being part of their planning and their journey and you know an example of that is a young person that I've only just recently became the iro for. hasn't really been involved in their planning up until recently and you know they're 16 and they're coming to a crucial time in their life where they're going to be leaving school soon we'll be thinking about them becoming 18 in a few years time and it might seem a long way away for them but actually that time's going to go really really quickly so what I've done I've I've spoke to that young person about you know it's not about you being in the meeting and listening to all the professionals talking about you because she feels that's really uncomfortable for her but it's about getting the best for her when she does turn 18 and even if she can just tell me what it is that she would like you know in terms of her career choices maybe she wants to learn to drive maybe she wants to go to university you know we can start to look at planning at at that Point now, while she's only 16, and it'll give us lots of opportunity then to reach out to other agencies, to other people, to try and get the right support in place. And I think that's what you're talking about with the planning, really. That's where it comes, you know, crucial to, to making sure that we get the right steps in place, but we're leaving enough time to get the right outcomes for our young people.
1: But I think to get to that point, you just kind of emphasise the point of having to know your children, doesn't it? Having to know your children that you're working with, know your families, the importance of having to build that relationship and build that rapport because i think we you know we all learn in very very different ways don't we you know we all. Some people learn visually. Some people learn by uh, what's on a screen, for example, or just having a, a conversation, or via reading, whatever it might be. We all receive information differently, and I think getting to know your children, getting to know your young people, is absolutely crucial because it is about trust building. You know, we have to build trust. If we haven't got that, it's really not going to work. You know, and obviously what you said there, Beck, about you know a young person who's approaching eighteen, coming to a very very important period in their life massive massive transitions and as we know when children become 18 the support network around them is very very different as well so you know as i say it is about looking at getting their views really the professional term goes getting the voice of the child coming across but it is so so important because if you haven't got the voice of that child and that goes for families as well and haven't got their viewpoint on how they see things and how they perceive things how are you going to be able to support and put that in place you need to know where they're at first in order to build upon that really
2: absolutely and i think that's Sometimes can be difficult really because if we don't get to see our young people, you know, weekly or every few weeks like the social worker does, you know, it's really, really important to have our time with them that's like meaningful and purposeful so that, you know, we can leave something with them that reminds them that we are there for them. You know, we've got technology now, we've got WhatsApp and all the different things that we can use via the internet and stuff. And, you know, I found that leaving information about me, who I am, my number, giving them my phone number and using WhatsApp as a way of being able to communicate with them even if it's in between their reviews, so to speak it really does help to sort of concrete that relationship really because sometimes they don't want us to be in their lives all the time but them times that we do pop in and out it's about having that impact isn't it's about making sure they know that if they do need us or there is something that's not working well for them or even if there's something that they've done really well and would like to share with us it's how they can contact us as well and i think you know that's really important and making sure that them relationships are meaningful really
1: absolutely Becky it is tough isn't it because as I say we're not involved on a you know on a daily basis you know like the social workers would be but I still think that we can develop those relationships as IROs got young people who you know quite often reach out to me and quite often as as in the role of the IRO we're quite often most consistent person in that child's life a lot of the time for whatever those reasons might be.
2: So Matt, with the child participation, young person participation in, in your role in child protection, how does that work?
1: Well Becky, it's quite difficult sometimes because obviously when cases are presented at a child protection conference, sometimes you know the children are often very young or even pre verbal. So it is difficult to obviously get the child participation there and quite often you're reliant on the social workers' assessment at that point and you know their observations leading up to conference of what that lived experience is like for the child. But what we are trying to do is trying to get children more actively involved in child protection conferences. It isn't always easy because obviously when we're at a child protection conference, they're there for a reason. You know, we're there because there are some concerns, there are some worries there. And it's balancing whether it's appropriate for that child to be in that particular conference based on potentially the traumatic experiences they may have faced, the appropriateness of the information being shared, you know, for children as young as that. So there are a lot of factors leading into it. I find it, you know, a little bit easier with children who are much older. Perhaps, you know, they've lived through that experience themselves so it's nothing that's new to them or nothing they're not aware of really really does depend on the circumstances but you know i've had a a wonderful case recently with two young people who were around roughly speaking 14 15 years old and they were so insightful into what was going on for them at home it was a real delight to work with them and it was great because they presented themselves at conference and they were able to really really give myself as the chair and the other conference members a real flavor of what life was like for them and actually mum was in that meeting as well and i think it was actually quite opening for her I think as a family they hadn't probably reflected on what their life was like for each other and actually when the children and young people started opening up and started saying well actually I'm not happy with this I want this to change at home you know I'm not going to go into the details around it for the confidentiality side of it but it was really really refreshing and we were able to actually put you know, quite an effective child protection plan in the beauty of that particular case was a lot of the emphasis was on the family the professionals that were involved actually weren't having too much of an input so that was quite Kind of the ideal really but yeah we do need to be better at getting your children and young people involved more in child protection process and, and gathering their voice and gathering their views it should be within the pre-meeting reports which is what families should get sight of before coming to conference the voice of the child should be coming through within that report and within that assessment you know and i suppose that brings on to the question as to what is an assessment doesn't it you know what's that about you know what does that mean for families what does that mean for children and young people you know we, we throw these buzzwords around all the time don't we assessments, plans and things like that and essentially an assessment is looking at that life experience for the child you know what are they experiencing as an individual as a family what's working well what are the strengths of the family what can we praise, what can we work upon but also as well it is about looking at what some of those concerns might be what's maybe not working so well and that's okay you know and I think a lot of parents come into conference thinking that they're very much being judged. I hear all the time that saying, Oh, you're saying I'm a bad parent, I'm a bad mom, I'm a bad dad. It isn't about that. It's about actually taking that sometimes responsibility and saying, holding your hands up and saying, you know what, things aren't perfect and that's okay. Things aren't necessarily perfect at home. What can we do about it? And what I try and do in conferences that I chair is just try and get an open and honest approach to this. It isn't about judgment. It's about looking at the situation, looking at what those dangers and worries might be for the child and looking about what differences that we need to make. Pretty simple. And it is about working together. A child protection plan or a child protection conference, even when we're going through, it won't work unless we have that. That honesty and openness from parents and from professionals as well. It works both ways. It isn't a one-way street, but we do need that. And what we're trying to create as well is that working together mentality. Another buzzword about restorative practice and that restorative approach. That is exactly what it is. It's working with families, not working towards them, being directive. It's about getting them involved in the plan, getting them buying into the plan, you know. And when we're discussing at conferences, you know, we come to the part of the meeting when we're looking about, okay, what needs to change? What can we do? And yeah, some professionals might make suggestions saying, actually, I think that, trying to use an example here, let's use one with home conditions. You know, by next week, the kitchen needs to be cleaned, there needs to be food in the cupboards, whatever it might be. You'll talk about that's what needs to be done. What are you going to do to get to that end point okay families need to be on board with that and families need to be agreeable to that process of how you're going to get there and as I said that is what that working with is about and if families aren't happy with not quite happy with doing that certain element okay then what can we do differently to get to that end goal you know so it's looking at what the end result's going to be how you're going to get there and what families agreeable to doing
2: yeah absolutely Matt I think you've picked up on some really crucial points and I think there is a lot of development that's going on in children's services at the moment and one of the main things that we're also trying to implement within the child looked after reviews is obviously young people feeling confident and empowered enough to chair their own reviews and again like I mentioned before around participation and and young people not necessarily wanting to do that straight away I think for me personally and I'm sure I can vouch for other IROs it's about giving them the confidence to do that maybe in the next three or four reviews in in the future and just giving them the opportunity to participate how they would like to and that build up to them being able to chair their reviews in the future really you know you talk there about like assessments and plans and things like that and you know the social worker keeps an updated assessment on on all our young people who are looked after just to see where we're at in terms of permanency because we know that that's quite fluid and things can change for them it can change for their birth family sometimes you know we we need to make sure that they are where they are because it's the right thing for them sometimes young people could go home or to a family member and that is always needing to be assessed all the time so you know that is why it's really crucial for that young person to be part of that planning because what the social worker might say they need they might not think they need that or they might want to stay where they are and you know whilst we do have to make decisions unfortunately that sometimes they don't want to hear we have to consult them we have to have their view because otherwise we're never going to get the desired outcome really.
1: And it goes back to that point about building that rapport and building that trust isn't it you know that the, the young person needs to be confident enough that actually I can talk to my IRO and it doesn't necessarily need to be in verbal communication Communication either, it can be in written form or there's a manner of ways. A
2: a lot of the young people we work with, I mean myself being new to the role, I'm a new IRO for a lot of my kids that I'm working with and they've had a lot of changes. You know, they've changed families, they've changed social workers, professionals, schools. For me, I'm probably just another new face for them, somebody that, you know, is gonna let them down potentially or they can't trust. And I'm not gonna in one visit be able to say to them, Yeah, I'm gonna be around for the rest of your journey in care or whatever because they probably don't believe me but It's about showing them, isn't it? It's about, you know, being consistent and just not promising them anything you can't keep. Just being able to, you know, have them open, honest conversations with them, allow them to say what they want to say and start that beginning of that relationship.
1: I agree. I think transparency is is so key. I think it is so, so important to be transparent. I think in my experience of working with young people is that they don't want the fluff, (laughs) excuse the expression, but they just want to be clear.
2: They want to know. They want to want to know what their options are. Yeah you know they want to know if they if they can go home or (laughs) why they can't go home they don't want to hear the ins and outs they want that honesty they do Mm. honesty
1: and give an understanding as to why that decision is made or why that you know why it can't be made because sometimes we are in positions and I agree with what you said Beck. you know that there are we have to be realistic this is the situation there is a lot of turnover of social work staff and with IROs as well you know and quite often young people through there especially you know if they've been in a child in care for a, a relatively young age have had a lot of people come in and out of their lives and it does impact on that ability to trust an individual It, it would for anybody you know and you have to you know factor in as well that you know those children have had some adverse life experiences more often than not a lot of trauma going on in their own lives so consistency and transparency for me is absolutely crucial to that relationship building process and like you said you know about trying to get children and young people involved in their child looked after reviews it's meeting them where they're at isn't it you know, because they might not, you be said, Beck. you know, it's building up to that. They might not be ready at the appointment we first become involved, but it's something to build up towards. And child participation works in a manner of ways, doesn't it? It isn't just about verbally being there in your looked-after review, directly putting your voice across. I had one young person who I was working with who wasn't confident to, to come into his reviews, and that's absolutely fine. But what he absolutely loved was quizzes. What we did was we gathered his views by giving him question and answers. And it was basically asking in a quiz-type format, and he got his views across that way but we knew exactly what he wanted we knew exactly you know in six months time where he wanted to be it worked, and it worked for him eventually his confidence grew and we built from that he progressed and we followed him through that journey you know and eventually when he got to 17 he sat in his review And that was the first time they sat in his review for three years that we were working with him before that. So, you know, it was real, real progress. But it was looking at where his skill sets were as well. And he managed to develop those skill sets and use it, you know, in a real positive way for him. So it it was really, really quite a good outcome.
2: What was your experience, Lewis? Did you ever get asked to participate in your reviews or did you ever sit in them?
0: I didn't really sit in my reviews. I didn't have the confidence to. I got a supply teacher or someone that used to support me in school to... Well, she took my views and took them in to the meeting and then came back out and told me what had happened with those, really.
1: Did you feel, Lewis, that you were listened to by your IRO or by your social worker at
0: the time? with my IRO, I didn't really actually speak to her much. The only thing that I can actually remember from my aura is they told me that I wasn't was never going back to my home. That's all I can remember of my aura.
1: Okay. And I can imagine and only imagine that, that in, when you receive that information, that's obviously very difficult information to take on board, isn't it? Did you appreciate that honest and open approach though? Was that a, would you have said that was a positive thing or do you think something could have been done differently when that information was given to you?
0: Well, I mean I appreciate the honesty and the openness of it, but I never got told why or oh, okay. what I could do or anything like that. I, could, I never got told why I couldn't go back or if I could go back, what I could do.
1: And it's that reasoning, is it's it's that understanding which is so important, isn't it? You know, being told you know you're not going back is one thing, but you need to have an understanding of why yeah. that's the case, which kind of brings on to the you know the importance of children, and young people knowing what their life story was like before yeah, coming definitely. into care and the reasons why that they're in uh, in local authority care and also understanding as well that perhaps things in birth family maybe haven't changed and that's why you know you weren't able to perhaps go back at that point Lewis I don't know but having that narrative and that understanding would make the world a difference wouldn't it you know
2: I mean we talk about giving young people explanations about things but I don't think that's something that we're very good at you know I, I think we're starting to take on the approach of like writing to the child writing to the young person and I think for me anyway it really helps me to think about mentalizing for that young person and what they're going through and you know we have to then use language and use words that's appropriate and I think maybe obviously Lewis's experiences we can learn from that and you know we need to think about not just like what we're doing but why we're doing it but how we're going to explain that and I think sometimes writing to the young person can help us as adults break down that because we forget that you need to know this information because we just carry on with trying to keep you safe and trying to you know make sure that you're happy where you are and stuff but actually it's really powerful what you just said Lewis with regards to the only thing you can remember about your IRO was telling you that you're not going home but not really understanding the reason behind that because that would have impacted on you massively despite all the other pieces of work that that IRO might have done for you you know that is something that we really need to learn from and really need to take away about helping you to understand that journey that you're on which is when we talk about life story work don't we and Mm. I don't think enough people are either confident to do that or whether it's around training needs I'm not sure whether we've got people who can can do that for time restraints but it is really important Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to be from birth to 18 in one go it should be snapshots shouldn't it through throughout a young person's life that can be gathered at separate parts and put together as a whole and it can be a month a year a day a week it doesn't matter it's just that that snapshot of your life that helps you understand why and where you are at that moment so you can rationale that information and, and sort of try to to move on I suppose
1: I think you put that put that across really well Beck. to be honest about the importance of life story and actually it is it is absolutely crucial it is such an important but sensitive piece of work it really really is a sensitive piece of work quite often and I think you know you touched on resources there and and and, and it's a reality unfortunately that I think a lot of social workers don't get the time to deliver live story work to the level they would want to you know so I think there, there is that need I also really think it's a very specialized role to deliver live story work Um, you know it has to again be at the pace of the child and young person it has to be in a done in a way that they're going to accept and receive that information it is not a quick piece of work But again, going to the point of consistency, and like you said there, Beck, those snapshots need to be done at the point of when that child comes into care, it needs to be done immediately. It should be an ongoing process. It isn't something that should be done, you know, and pulled together within a month, for example. It needs to be ongoing from day one. And quite often, you know, being honest and real about it, it quite often hasn't been that. And sometimes life story work, and I have had experiences where life story work has been rushed, and there's certain elements of that child's journey that have been missed out of that life story, and that can be really really detrimental to that child and young person in later life and I think we do have to factor you know factor that in like I say my view on life story is it's such an important but such a sensitive piece of work that we do with children you know they need to be involved in that process but we need to make sure that they understand you know it's not just about delivering the information you want to make sure that that young person understands the reasons why they are where they are and I do think quite often that gets missed unfortunately I mean again Lewis asking about you know your lived experiences of of being in did you have that kind of question mark hanging over you as to kind of why am I here almost?
0: From my experience it was probably more my own doing, it was more behaviour in school and stuff like that that got me to where I was, but I, I kind of knew why I was there to start with, but I never knew why I couldn't go back, Yeah, much. that's the only thing that I was struggling to understand, because from my understanding, it was my behaviour in school that got me where I was, and it was like, if I was to change that, why can't I go back? Because mm. in the end, I did change it, and then I did go back home, yeah. so that's what I've kind of always been confused about, is why no one could have just told me that, and then I could have done it sooner than
1: I did. It sounds like a lot of pressure and a lot of emphasis put on your behaviour there, do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I'm sure there were other, other factors as well, Lewis, you know. But that's really, really interesting the way you've just described that there.
2: Is there anything that you could say to us now to help us develop ourselves in the IRO role that maybe we can learn from from you?
0: Don't really know, to be honest. I didn't really have anything to do with mine after she'd kind of told me that I was never going home. And then once I actually got home, I, I really never spoke to her after that again, okay. to be honest.
2: Would you have liked to have had a relationship with your IRO? Do you see them as crucial in your journey?
0: me, not crucial. But when I first came to work in Dudley, she said she wanted to speak to me and get my views on my experiences with her, and we did have a, a good conversation about it. I, I think she understood that what she said. Did have a big
1: impact on me. Yeah, that is good. That's probably given you a little bit of closure as well, hasn't it? Really. Yeah. From, from that, so that is good. But yeah, I mean, it is. I think it is a tough one, isn't it, Louis? The role of the IRO because we do kind of dip in and out of children and young people's lives. You know, we're, we're in that overseeing role, you know, so a lot of the stuff that the IRO does is often quite goes on behind the scenes, perhaps you know, especially if from your experiences you weren't attending your reviews, were you at that point, which is, you know, which is absolutely fine, but it is the responsibility of all of our IROs to as I say, meet the child where they're at, you know, and if they're not attending their reviews, you know, we should be consulting every few months with that child and young person, checking in with them, it doesn't have to be anything big, it's just a, hi oh, how you doing type of conversation, what you've been up to the last couple of months since I've spoken with you, it can be really be simple but i think the importance for me is that your iro needs to be visible they need to know that oh yeah you know, I haven't spoken to Matt for a couple of months, but you know, oh yeah, he phoned me the other day just to see how I was doing. It's that type of relationship. It's not about the day-to-day stuff because that's the social worker's responsibility. But as an IRO, it's to know that actually we're there and we're there for you because we're there to make sure that whatever plans are in place for you moving forward, that they're kept on track and that the people that are meant to be working for you are trying to progress that plan in the right direction.
2: So when we talk about plans, like a care plan, for example, for a young person, what we mean by that is once the child is looked after or they come into care it's about looking at what needs to happen to make changes or for their permanency so we can start to see what we need to do with the family or what the family need to do to make the changes if that's the way that it's going to be but also to look at the future for the young person to see where is best for them they might be with a foster carer they might be with a family member the plan might be for adoption there might be a plan for them to return home and at each step of the way We have to review the care plan. We have to make sure that that's on track. We have to make sure that all the child's needs are being met from an education point of view, from a health point of view, from, you know, other agencies that are involved, a mental health point of view. You know, it's really important that, again, the contribution from the young person, if they're old enough and able to do that, is really, really important because they will, they know themselves best. They know what they're going through. And it's really important that they can also have a say around what they would like. And again, sometimes we can't always guarantee guarantee what they want is going to happen but it's about having them conversations and being able to explain to them that that's not what we can do at the moment but this is a solution or we could meet you halfway or work towards it if it's something that's achievable so it is about having them conversations and letting the young person know what their plan is but how we might be able to get to where they want to get in the future by doing x y and z or somebody else doing x y and z and that's really really important obviously family wherever they're in involved with the young person still you know them being able to be part of the reviews being able to contribute in their the child's reviews as well is really important and they might not be part of the plan moving forward in terms of the young person going home but again I think for the young person it's really important that they know that their mom and dad are still there or they've got a family member who's important to them who are still there and are still listening again that's something that we need to encourage parents to come to and be there and that might help the young person to want to contribute as well if they know that they've got somebody there who's important to them. It's a really difficult time for anybody in that situation mm. really.
1: Like you just said, Becky, if you know, even if the parent can't be part of the permanency planning for the child for whatever those reasons are, getting their contribution is so, so important because again it's that visibility, isn't it? It's that young person seeing that, okay, maybe I can't return to mum or dad at the moment, but they're still here, they're still contributing, they're still taking an interest in what's going on in my life. And that can be really, really important. Mm. But yeah, you know, going back to planning a lot of what you said there is about the smart planning principles, isn't it? You know, when we're putting plans in place for young people they need to be achievable they need to be realistic we're only going to get to that if we get that contribution from the family from the child from the young person you need to meet them where they're at moving kind of on from child looked after to child protection when we're putting plans in place for families I say right at the offset you know this is an outline plan plans are fluid they change there could be a change in circumstances next week that could completely change the plan completely change things you know and I think it's actually really important as well for plans to be achievable and realistic and not necessarily over overwhelming families with so many things and so many professionals going in you know there are situations where there's a high level of need for a barrel of support to go in there but actually if you put all that support in at one stage and at one time it's not going to be achievable so i actually think it's more realistic to put two maybe three steps into that plan and say look this is where we want to get to and we'll come on to these points maybe in six months time but for now over this next six month period we're going to do x y and z and for me i think that's a, a better and more realistic way and more of a bite nice way i suppose working with families really
2: you mentioned there about over support and again Mm. it crosses over between the child looked after reviews and the child protection reviews but that also is a crucial part of our role as well is that oversight and that being able to look down on the situation we can sometimes see that there's far too much going on for this young person or this child and i think that's the beauty then of being able to sort of streamline that support and get people to think about what is important now what does that young person what does that family need now at this Mm. moment in time that's going to be able to help them to move forward and too much support is actually as bad as not enough support <laughs> Correct. um yeah. especially you know when there's a lot of trauma a lot of difficulties going on in families lives mm. the last thing they need is this you know um, wealth of, of, of support coming in yeah. and and it it floods them you know it's really difficult to manage I think I'd struggle in that Absolutely. situation so being able to have that oversight view of, of being able to sort of streamline the support and and help make it realistic is it's, really crucial
1: it's prioritizing of what the need is now like you said you know what's more important now I mean there was a, a case example I had where yet yeah, there was clear domestic violence in that particular relationship that work needs to be done with both sets of parents but the first priority was that they were getting kicked out of their accommodation they had nowhere to live that's the priority for that particular period of time you know and there are other things as well which needed to take precedence if you like over that piece of work it's important and it needed to get done and it does need to get done but you have to meet the family in the here and now and what's achievable for them now that's why the importance of having these periodic reviews every three months every six months because when we have that oversight we have a clear measurement then of the progress that's being made you know so okay mom and dad at that point you didn't have nowhere to live We're three months on now I'm really pleased you've got your own accommodation now you been settling in over the last three months okay now we're here maybe now we can look at addressing some of that work we saw at the initial conference and it's just about realistically planning for families and for children and I think that covers over to child looked after as well.
2: And we've talked a lot about young people participating in their reviews and conferences and how they can do that. I think also Matt we need to mention around like younger children like babies Mm. pre-verbal children and even children with special needs and disabilities you know we work with all different children and we have to obtain their views and their voices in whichever way we can and some especially younger children and some children with disabilities they just can't attend their reviews for whatever reason so you know it's really important to to think about how we can build a relationship with them and our other ways of communicating you know observations and play visual aids if we've got children who have got disabilities and that relationship there is key because the, I think the observations of seeing how children are with certain people and in their environment and in different environments you get to know them without needing a conversation if that makes sense so that's where that relationship is actually key and being able to have the voice of the child without having a conversation with them really
1: Absolutely and I think it also as well it, you know you need to draw upon your multi-agencies that are working with children you know nurseries for example you know, if we're talking about pre-verbal children here nurseries have large part of that day-to-day contact with them that us as child protection chairs and IRO certainly wouldn't have and not even the social workers would have so they're going to pick up on a lot of those observations presentation behavior of the child on a day-to-day basis and that is absolutely valuable information is a child distressed in a particular set of circumstances a child happy in another set of circumstances those environmental factors really come to life if you kind of draw on the experiences of other agencies working with the family some words here that you might hear banded around all the time, which we call social work jargon. And just to kind of put it into everyday language, because I think we've all said that, uh, you know, language is so important, isn't it, with, you know, gaining an understanding of how things are moving forward. So you've got some definitions here that you might have heard. We'll start off with initial child protection conference. When a parent's probably faced with that title. They're thinking what on earth is that? Well it is quite straightforward really. An initial child protection conference is kind of what it says on the tin. It's the first meeting that's going to be held leading on from the social worker's involvement with the family and the social worker will guide the family through as to what it is that they're worried about, what it is that the possible dangers that are going on within the family home and that will be explained to parents and that then leads on to the initial child protection conference which essentially is the first First meeting where those sets of worries and are going to be spoken about really you know again you might use the word concerns is banded about quite a lot you know and again what does that mean concern concern and it, it is quite simply a worry a danger that, that a child might be at risk of significant harm and again think risk what's that mean when we talk about risk and risk assessment you know risk assessment is obviously something that again parents here quite a lot but may not have an understanding of, of what that is. A risk assessment is looking at the situation, looking at the situation at home, what the strengths are, what's going well, looking at potentially what needs to change. And again, looking at what are the possible dangers that that child might be experiencing. Is it as a result of family members at home? Is it a result of, you know, the home environment, for example, that's causing that? And what that risk assessment does, it brings all of that information together. So it brings all the positives. It brings all the the things that need to change and things need to be worked upon. And it looks, again, about how we can move forward and looking at what needs to change to make that environment a better place. For the children a better place for the family as a whole and quite often that is discussed during child protection conferences and as i say the initial child protection conference is the first meeting once all these worries get discussed and the decision may be then made to place children onto a child protection plan what then happens at that point is that we will review that plan so you know, we need to keep an eye on how things are developing so we'll put uh, some safety measurements in for children and for family and we'll also put that support element in as well where you know families have got all the support they need to make those positive changes that we're looking for but our role as child protection chairs and iros is to keep an eye on that progress you know to consistently review to make sure that the outline plan is moving forward as we expected to do so so we will then from the initial child protection stage um, hold a first review child protection conference which is within 12 weeks so it's a three-month period when you know we'll have oversight on on how things have moved forward within that 12-week period What we also do as well within that 12 week period, the child protection chairs will also hold what's called a progress review. And that's something that we'll do individually. So we'll look on the case file just to make sure that that initial plan, that outline plan that was put in place, again, is moving and progressing as it should be. And then we get to that first review conference after 12 weeks. And that is essentially what we're doing. We are reviewing the progress of that plan, measuring progress of the plan that was what we were worried about then what is the situation like 12 weeks on and then we are again making a decision on whether that child protection plan needs to continue have things significantly changed enough in order for us to step down or are the pieces of work that the family might need to do or are those concerns worries risk levels still there that we have to continue with that plan and that's the beauty of what we're doing you know we're consistently reviewing and then the the requirement after that 12 weeks is to then come back in six months time if the decision is made to continue with the plan and again in the same way reviewing where things are at you know we don't want to keep children on child protection plans forever and that is why it is so important to keep reviewing the progress and keep reviewing the family situation circumstances change all the time plans change all the time depending on those changes in circumstances so we always have to bear that in mind you know nothing is ever set in stone plans are fluid if you want to call them that so another word that keeps getting thrown about child protection is about the word threshold you know parents quite often hear are we meeting the threshold for child protection planning and again What does that mean? What it is, it's a mark. It is actually saying how concerned are we as a group of agencies and a group of professionals that this child is at risk of experiencing harm in that family home or at likelihood of experiencing significant harm in the future. And it is about that level, if you want to call it that, of whether it does need to be stepped up to a child protection plan, where the risks are so great that the plan for the family does need to be that little bit more intense and there does need to be that higher level of involvement for children's service or can the risks be managed? Is there a safety plan that we've discussed at conference that could actually lower some of the original worries and concerns that we were worried about? At a recent conference I had, the social worker presented a report where the, the risks were appearing quite high. We only found out from discussing it at the initial conference that, that actually family members that were actually acting as quite a protective manner and safeguarding that child. So the decision was on that basis that actually, you know, we could potentially work at this on a lower level than child protection. So it's just exploring. Exploring those circumstances really, exploring what the situation is for the family and assessing those risk levels so Beck, if I could just come over to you if you could just give us a little bit of an update from a, a child looked after point of view.
2: Yeah absolutely so obviously Matt talked about the risks and assessments and things happening and sometimes when those assessments are done and the risks are so great you know sadly young people and children and babies can't live with their birth families and that means that they would potentially come into foster care placement or you know the local authority would get involved to do an assessment with a family member for example so if at any time we have to go into court and get a care order or what we call a section 20 voluntary accommodation paperwork is signed by parents then that young person then becomes a looked after child and to the local authority. What happens then is then an IRO would get allocated to that young person and then we'd hold something called you might hear it as a CLA or a, a CLA review. And what that means is a child looked after review. So it would be held with the young person if possible with foster carer or the family member whoever they're living with obviously we'd talk to the young person about who else they wanted to be involved in that review such as their family members or significant others and it would have all the professionals that are working with them if school are involved or if health are involved or any other agencies that they have involved with them and that would be normally held within 20 working days of them initially becoming looked after children and that would be what we call an initial CLA review. So following that review we would then hold very similar to the child protection one one within three months and again a midpoint review with the social worker would be held in between at the initial review we don't tend to set a plan for what we call permanence and the reason we don't do that is because obviously everything's quite new and we don't actually know what is going on and we're still at that sort of stage of exploring and trying to understand what has happened for the young person with their family and why it is that they can't live with them properly at the moment so there might be a lot of work going on in the background that the young person's not aware about but basically when we talk about permanency planning what we have to think about is how it sets out to achieve permanence for an individual child who's in care with the objective being to make sure that the child has a secure and stable and loving family to support them throughout their childhood and beyond and I think again like any plan is really really fluid and whilst we would talk about permanency and be setting that at each review that can change and there might be things that we need to look at to progress in the future such as reunification or such as them going to live with a grandparent or an auntie or an uncle so permanence changes throughout a child's journey and throughout their lives and it's really important to sort of I suppose remember that but also that the other side of it is that as a local authority we need to make sure the child is stable and secure wherever they are at that moment in time Sometimes we might talk about advocacy and I think as an IRO I would class myself as a child advocate although there is an independent advocacy service that a young person can access as well within Dudley and that tends to be if they're not happy with their care plan or they have made a complaint which they're well entitled to do but you know also advocacy can come from a member of a classroom teaching staff it can come from you know a person that they know the best it could be a YPA if they've got a YPA involved it could Be a support worker that they're working with through a voluntary agency. So, an advocate can be whoever the child requests to be their advocate, basically, who they feel the most comfortable with and who can help them to understand and ask the questions that maybe they feel they can't at that time.
0: Thanks to Matt and Rebecca for taking part in this episode. This episode has been co produced by myself, Matt and Rebecca, and edited and produced by Vicky Sylvester Grant.